It's the first Monday of the month. It's the first Monday of the year. And this is our question and answer episode on leadership resources. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 174. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And it is the first Monday of the month and year, and we are tackling your questions on leadership resources, as we had mentioned the last couple of weeks. And Bonnie is back with me here in studio to tackle questions. Bonnie, welcome back. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. As in I haven't, as in like I haven't talked to you in the last... <laughs> four or five days or something like that. I seem to recall having some conversations with you over the holidays. Uh, I Can I just say at the beginning, we have some amazing community members for Coaching for Leaders. We got some nice things in the mail. We had someone who's a leader at a winery send us wine from the company Banfi, B-A-N-F-I. I hope I'm saying that right. So she'll, <laughs> she'll email me if I'm not, but it was amazing, by the way, I forgot to tell you. And just wonderful, nice notes over... Are you saying you forgot to tell me? I forgot to tell you because remember my dad and I had the wine together? No, I, I was there when you opened the box. Oh, I don't remember telling you it was amazing though. Oh, you forgot to tell me it was amazing. I, I did. I, I did. was just so touched by the nice note that was written on it in that chalkboard paint marker thing. And yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. Anyway, all that to say, we have just amazing people listen to the show and are part of the community. And thank you for everyone who sent wonderful wishes and notes over the holidays. And so great to get connected with a whole bunch of folks who have become listeners in the last couple of weeks too. So we're really excited to get to answer some questions here. We've got a whole bunch of them. My favorite is still the software manager who I'm not sure I'm allowed to say the name of the company who sent Hannah when she was born a future CEO onesie. Uh, you are allowed to say the company and it is Microsoft. My friend Duke over at Microsoft, he okay. sent Hannah this cool, cool outfit. And, and now we're go we're Luke is going to pre preschool. He goes once a week for a couple of hours. And every week he gets so excited to load up that backpack as a Microsoft backpack that he sent as well. And he's so big on his little body and he's just so proud of himself with this he, backpack going to school. He loves that backpack. Duke, I know you're listening out there. Thank you, man. It was awesome. Very cool stuff. So, uh, so let's tackle the questions because we put a call out the last couple of weeks for questions around leadership resources. And that's intentionally broad, just around different tools, resources, books, services, things like that, that will help you in your professional development this year. So I'm going to go ahead and just uh, jump right in here. We've, uh, we're going to see how many of these we can hit, Bonnie. We may not get to all of them. And if so, we'll, uh, we'll tackle them a different way here. Uh, the first question came in from Michelle. Michelle writes, I've taken on a training post. It's a new post. And so I'm making things up as I go along. <laughs> I've, I've been there. Um, in episode 30, you recommend that managers attend the same training as their team. I'm organizing a whole range of training courses in 2015. And at first, I agreed with you that the manager should attend with their team. The feedback I've had, though, is that if the manager attends, then people won't ask all the questions they should ask to seek clarification. This maybe is a cultural point rather than a general training point. Are there some types of training that need the manager to be present and others where it's better if they're not present? For example, if it's about changing behavior, then it's right that they should attend. And if it's about learning something new, new skills, et cetera, then the manager shouldn't be present. And uh, she 
put a little more detail in here that I may uh, mention, but I, I, I will say, and I know Bonnie has some thoughts on this, that I, I don't think this is just a cultural thing. I know there's an aspect of working cross-culturally here that she had mentioned in some of the details. This this is true in any organization. There are different things that people will do when a manager is or is not present. I think that's true in every organization. So Bonnie has some thoughts on this first, and then I'll uh, then I'll share some of my thoughts. I just wanted to start out by saying that ideally, none of this would matter. Ideally, we would work together in teams. And yes, we would have people that were leading those teams. But ideally, we would all have this yearning to grow and develop. And it didn't necessarily have to be that because I'm higher up on the org chart means I know more than you do. And so I better not show that I don't know stuff. And certainly you better not show me that you don't know stuff by asking questions. I mean, ideally, we would be in a place where we're just all growing and learning together and recognize I mean, gosh, I was just listening to this podcast of one of the largest settlements ever in the financial industry. I won't go into specifics here for not to offend anyone involved, but it, it was, it goes throughout the organization that goes absolutely throughout an organization culturally. And so to think that because I'm higher on the org chart means I'm better. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate that that is so much of a societal thing, not just in the American culture, but can be um, around the world, really a problematic area. And as you allude to in your message, it makes it where we hold back when we don't know stuff or we hold back when we're grappling with stuff. And it's really unfortunate. So as a leader, I'd want to be attending trainings with my team so that we would be speaking the same language. As an example, one of the project management classes that just, I still today have the tools on my shelf. And this is, oh gosh, this is more than 15 years ago I would have gone to this training. And I still could speak that language to you. I could open up that notebook and I could show you, here's the stakeholders, here's this. And we could speak that vocabulary and talk about the process. And if we were going to manage projects together, you bet we had better have that language in common with each other. So I guess there's a couple things I want to say. One is we don't live in that ideal world. Mm, yeah. So if because we don't live in the ideal world, perhaps then to try to carve out spaces where people can feel free to be more vulnerable then they might feel like they could be on their manager. And I just tend to be one of those people too, that doesn't have a super high regard for hierarchy for hierarchy's sake. And I know that about my personality and a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people, it doesn't matter if the job's higher than me, then I've got to be subjugating myself to them, et cetera. So anyway, I wish it wasn't like that because it's not, perhaps you carve out some spaces, but I would also just encourage you to be trying to have the big picture perspective that we're all growing, we're mm. all developing, and that leaders can really set the example there to be showing that they're open to learning a new system, to learning new tools, to learning new ways of approaching things. Yeah. Yeah. I am so glad you mentioned all that. It's 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 so critical when thinking about um, how people learn and, and grow. And, you know, from a from a practical standpoint for Michelle, I, I think, you know, Michelle, I well remember in episode 30 when I mentioned this, you know, one of the things I was really thinking is, you know, if, you, if you're if you going to have an entire team of people go to something, to Bonnie's point, I, th I think you want to be there because you want to know what people are talking about. You want to have the common language, even if it's something you already are familiar with. You want to find out what people are learning and, and, and talking about and what experiences they're having. 
And to the to Bonnie's point about the vulner the you know people having comfort in speaking, I think one of the charges we have as leaders is creating an environment where people can feel more safe to express what they really think. And so that goes along with as a leader of being comfortable of being vulnerable once in a while and saying, you know what, this is something I struggle with. Here's something I'm learning. And then when other people on the team have the courage to do that, of empowering people in that way and of acknowledging them and of creating a space where people can feel safe to communicate in such a way. And that's like Bonnie said, it's never perfect in any organization, but I think there's a lot that we can do as leaders to create that sense of trust in the organization. And especially when an entire team is doing something, um, if we can lead the way in that way, I think that's really powerful. Now, on a practical level, if you're sending someone for training on a specific skill, say, for example, to learn a piece of software, um, and, and they're the one person that's learning it, or maybe two people, or they're new to the organization, no, I don't think literally that the manager should go and sit there in the training with them if they already know that skill. But from a team standpoint, I definitely believe erring on the side of erring on the side of being there and being present is is the way to go, even if you... Uh, even if you once in a while don't get all the conversation that you may want to have. So I hope that helps Michelle a little bit. And uh, and Bonnie, thanks for your thoughts on that. We'll put a link to episode 30 in the show notes as well for more of the details on that. The next question here is from Amy. Amy says, I enjoy listening to the show every morning on my way to work and have applied many of your tips to my job. I've been through so many podcasts. I was curious if you could help me with one of your recommendations. You talked about a planner you could use that can be specialized. Uh, what recommended company or website was this? I was looking to start the new year off right. Thanks for your advice. Uh, Amy, thanks so much. And there's a few things I've mentioned over the years, um, but one of them we'll mention in detail. and We'll give you a couple other resources as well, too. I know Bonnie has some thoughts on this one. When you are looking to start out the new year right, if this is something that is going to be a real growth area for you, I suggest you start out real simple. And the simplest thing is whatever tool it is that you choose to use needs to be simple to get started with and needs to be something that you're going to consult regularly throughout your day. And to me, that's regularly throughout your day, seven days a week. This is, it's, it's just too hard these days to manage professional and one tool and personal and another tool. It can be done, but that is my own, my own bias, just the world that we live in. There's just too much to try to manage it in two different systems. So to me today, what's not going to work really well for me is to have that be on paper because there's too many things that I need to collaborate with other people. And so both Dave and I have a smartphone. So for us, whatever tool it is that we use can be one that shows up on our computers and shows up on our smartphones. And that for us works. For some people, maybe it is paper and maybe that's going to work, but then it's going to have to be paper, a paper-based planner that travels with you wherever you go. And also recognize there's huge downsides today to choosing paper because you can't take advantage of some of the automation. I'll give you a quick example. I just created a template that's going to automatically get populated every time I teach a new class with all the things I need to do in order to teach that new class. I wouldn't have that necessarily with a paper planner, although I could I guess, photocopy once I had something, but it's just not going to be what technology can do. So for me, it's got to go with you wherever you, wherever you are. And it's got to be something that's simple to get started with. And boy, there's so many options that are out there. One tool that, that Dave and I have mentioned before that I used right up until just a couple, two, three months ago was remember the milk. And that's a great web-based tool that also has smartphone apps. Remember the milk.com. 
you add a task, you decide if it has a due date, or maybe it doesn't, maybe it just has a priority level. You can tag things so that you can categorize them. You can have different lists. So you might have a work and a personal or maybe projects at your work might be under different lists. Super simple to use. They've got good tutorials and it's, it's up and running, but there's a lot of other options out there that would work well. I would tell you the more important thing is going to be that it's something you do all the, all the time. Mm, Yeah. And it, and it's a ubiquitous, like it's across every device or system. If you are using something that's electronic based, this was maddening four or five years ago, Bonnie, you remember we used to have to sync things and make Mm -hmm. sure this, the recent version was on this device. And nowadays that's really not very much of an issue. There's just the, the apps and the software are so good that it's pretty much ubiquitous to regardless of where you make the change to things. And since we recorded this episode about time management tools, I actually did make a switch and I switched to the one that Dave's been using now for a couple of years and it's on the Mac exclusively. So it's only going to be a choice for those of you listening that use a Mac and it is called OmniFocus and OmniFocus is a really, really feature rich but also a little bit of a learning curve in terms of a task management and project management for individuals tool. And you mentioned also, because uh, I know she asked about planners too, Bonnie, how do you use your calendar as far as what do you put in the calendar versus what goes in the task list? And we could probably do a whole episode on this, but just real quickly, what's 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 your decision point on that? Things go in my calendar that involve other people or mm-hmm. if they involve me exclusively, but I, it has to happen at a particular time. So mm-hmm. a doctor's appointment it's going to go on a calendar. The scheduling of the doctor's appointment is going to go on my task list. Got it. Got it. That's essentially how I handle it too. Things go in the calendar that are an appointment with someone else or a client or something like that, or something that has to happen at a particular time and everything else goes in the task management system. And I mostly use the getting things done system and OmniFocus is a great solution for that. So, but I, I absolutely echo what Bonnie says that if the key is to use it. So pencil and paper is amazing if you're going to use it and you've got it with you all the time and you've got that pencil and paper wherever it is. So whatever system um, we'd recommend, remember the milk if you're looking for something that's like a PC-based option and OmniFocus is great for Mac people out there and OmniFocus is nice because it can grow with you and it does a lot of advanced things if you decide to get more advanced with it, with bo- which both of us have. By the way, for those of you who do get into OmniFocus or if you're already using it, one great resource out there is um, our friend Tim Stringer has a website called learnomnifocus.com and it's a wonderful, um, he's got some free resources up there. He's also got a membership. It's a great, great tool for just getting to know how you can use some of the power features around planning. But then the other thing I just add to this um, is that also there's the, okay, what do you put on the calendar and the task list in the first place? So for that, I always do my annual planning around this time of the year. I just finished the Michael Hyde course that I've talked about in the last couple of weeks on the show. So I've got my seven to 10 goals and then my calendar items and my task lists are based around those seven to 10 things that I'm working on during the year. So that's kind of where I start off with it. So hope that gives you a few, uh, a few suggestions, Amy, and uh, get you started and let us know what happens and what works for you. So let me transition to the next question here from Brenda. Brenda writes, I am a retreat coordinator at a camp where I work with many different churches and Christian organizations. Most people I work with come one to one to two times a year and come and share their camp space with two to five different churches and organizations. I'm looking for a way to not only personally connect with the people I work with, but also give them the opportunity to get to know each other as camp rental leaders and to be able to bounce ideas off each other and give this group unity by coming to camp together. I also want to 
build the same unity and community with other retreat coordinators across the U.S. within an online group, but to keep these two separate. I've seen this done with stay-at-home moms on Facebook, but really do not want to use Facebook for this. Would LinkedIn be a good website to use for this purpose? Is there another social media or website that I should explore um, and that you would know if that would work better? What have you found to be the best way to grow your community with coaching for leaders? Well, Brenda, thanks for the question. And I did um, clarify with Brenda, Bonnie, because I, one of the things I was curious about is, is she looking at this more of just kind of as a hobby, just as something to do to spend a couple hours a week on? Or was she really planning on growing a very large community and building a large platform on this? And her answer is, she's this is more of a hobby, just something she'd spend a couple hours a week in. And so for that, I really do think, and I'm curious what you think, Bonnie, but I think LinkedIn is probably a really good resource for something like this. Assuming the people... Brenda, that you are working with are people who generally are on LinkedIn and have LinkedIn profiles because you can set up groups on LinkedIn and you can make them public as far as anyone could join, but you can also set up private groups so you can approve people joining and becoming members. And there's lots of great ways to communicate on there. And if many of the people who you are working with and are part of these roles already have LinkedIn profiles, then that could be a wonderful and fairly easy way to engage with people. Um, the reason I I asked for clarification on the question, Bonnie, from her is, you know, if, if this is something that, and for those of you out there who are maybe planning on building a larger community online, is keep in mind that if you build it on one of the social media networks, they can change the rules whenever they want. So whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Google Plus or whatever, whatever resource you use, and all of those are good for different reasons, is... LinkedIn can change the rules tomorrow and decide they're not going to do groups or change the way they do groups or decide that you're not doing it the way they want you to do it and shut you down. So um, if you really are looking to build a very serious online community as a business and building a large platform and investing a lot of time and resources into doing that, one thing I would recommend is to look at maybe having your own system that you host that on or run it on. Um, one that I'm familiar with from a discussion board format is called IP Board. Uh, which I know I've heard great things about. I've used a little bit in the past, um, but that's something just to look into if you're looking for a resource around that or maybe having something on your own website. Bonnie, any thoughts on that? Just one thing to add. You mentioned you don't want to use Facebook, and I'm not sure about what your opposition of it is, but in case you think that you have to be connected with a person in order to share a group with them, you actually do not. So it may be an advantage you hadn't thought of where you could set it up on Facebook, which so many people do find themselves checking on a pretty regular basis, a lot more regularly than LinkedIn, perhaps for your community specifically that you're talking about. And so you could set up a group where they don't have to be connected with you on Facebook as a friend, but they still could be a member of the group. As an example, I have a podcast that we've talked about before called Teaching in Higher Ed, and I have a Teaching in Higher Ed group that anyone can join, and but they're not connected with me on Facebook. So they're they're... There's a separation there that is only to the extent that I either post under my name, and even if I post under my name instead of posting under the Teaching in Higher Ed login, if I post under my name, then they can only see on my profile whatever I allow people to see given my privacy settings. And yeah. so it's all an opportunity cost here. I was only going to mention that just in case you didn't know that yeah. because so many people are on Facebook, but then like Dave said, it is, um, they change the rules all the time and, and you are building a community that someone else controls the rules of the road on. Yeah. And then, you know, with Facebook, you know, 
there's, we have four or 500 people who are fans of the Facebook page for coaching for leaders. And probably 10% of those people see things I post because of the way Facebook does its algorithm and edge rank and all that. And so, well, I mean a page versus a group. So on a group, oh, they're going to get saying. a notification yeah. when you post something. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, Dave. You would want a group yeah, because exactly. then they would get a notification when you posted something to a group. This, this stuff oh. gets really complicated. <laughs> and, and one thing I'd ask, I'd add Brenda is think about what is it what are the mindset? What's the kind of mindset that people are showing up on as online, and where are they going? Where you want to engage with them? So, for example, people by far and away the biggest interaction that I have online with the Coaching for Leaders community is on LinkedIn, and that's not because LinkedIn is better than the other networks, but it's because people go to LinkedIn when they're thinking about things professionally, generally speaking, and so they're looking for resources like, for example, Coaching for Leaders. There's not anywhere near the engagement on. Facebook or Google Plus, because people generally aren't in the mindset of professional things when they're on Facebook, um, to the extent that I've even wondered about the wisdom of having a Facebook page for the, the community. So uh, so just kind of keep that in mind of where are the people already, You know, what kind of mindset would people be in and what are they looking for? And that's probably the place to meet them. So that's probably way more information than you ever wanted, Brenda. I hope that helps out. And, and as importantly, I hope it helps out other folks out there who are thinking about maybe starting an online resource as well. And we'll put links to that in the show notes too. So let's go ahead on to the next question here from, I hope I'm saying this right, Hujefa. Hey Dave, it's Hujefa here. I wanted to ask you a question regarding productivity versus role specialization. The idea here is some managers go by this methodology of trying to get the most out of people by giving them a lot of things to do and, and if they are underloaded or not fully busy with their current tasks they they don't uh, seem to perceive them as performing resources and uh, they also uh, use the time uh, they spend and the intensity with which they work as a yardstick to measure performance i was wondering what are your thoughts on this and uh, what as a best practice you would advocate thanks a lot and uh, i love your show Hey, Hujefa, thank you so much for the question. And I'm so glad you love the show. Thank you for submitting it. I'm not 100% sure I fully understand the question, but I'm going to do my best to respond to it here. I think what you're asking is, you know, how do you handle a situation as far as, you know, do you reward effort and intensity people put in, or do you look more at results? I think that's what you're asking. Bonnie, do you, does that make sense to you? Is that what you heard? Yeah. And some of what I'm hearing in, in what you're saying is so prevalent today where we do get so caught up in this busyness. There's this culture that it's not okay to not be busy. So we have to look yeah. busy and we get rewarded. The busier that we look, we get rewarded. If we're the one who's the last person to leave the building when it's time to go home, we get rewarded if we're the first person there appearing busy versus, as you said, achieving results. And that's a really important thing to be thinking about as a leader in a company because it's not really sustainable. So it's not sustainable as an individual. And I know for myself, gosh, sometimes in my younger days in my career, I just think back to that's not a way I would have really been able to work for decades. I mean, I realize some people do, but that mm -hmm. that to me would not have been sustainable for a whole bunch of reasons. 
And I think I would have looked back at that career and, and not had the sense of meaning and significance if I had continued down that path. So it, it is unfortunate, though, that that we we often can reward that we often can see that as value, the again, the things that we can see in terms of hours and perceived busyness. And there's been a lot of articles out that have just talked about our obsession with being busy and, and that that's not necessarily a good thing from a cultural standpoint. So one thing that I think has really helped in organizations that I have worked with is for us to get a little bit more of a culture around results. And one of the really good things is to be thinking about dashboards and getting people, if you if you Google dashboards, that kind of thing, you'll see some different options as far as both software that'll allow you to communicate these results. But it also can just be what's what are going to be our key goals. As Dave was talking about earlier, his seven goals for the year, whatever. Well, how along the way will we be able to tell if we're achieving what we need to achieve in order to reach that final goal? And these things shouldn't be too terribly complicated because then we start to reward data, meaningless data instead of the appearance of busyness. So having just what are going to be those key indicators, and this should be no more than a page. I should be able to see for the organization as these things roll up one page of how I'm doing on my key indicators. And if there's anything that is off, there's a note of, well, here's what we're doing to work to get this back to where it needs to be. And if that's a cultural thing where everyone says, here's the results we're trying to achieve as a company. And then that cascades down to here's the results we need to achieve in this division. And then here's the results we need to achieve in this department and so on and so forth to be thinking about, Hey, key results, not everything so that we don't again, transfer it to a whole bunch of data that people are generating reports and spending more time generating reports than actually getting the job done. I'm so glad you jumped in and answered this first, because I definitely have a bias on this, on this one. And I I was thinking as you were talking, I haven't I haven't received a paycheck, a salary check that wasn't directly tied to results since 2002. And so to think about getting rewarded both financially and organizationally and career-wise that's not directly tied to results, to me, seems very foreign uh, as a concept. And yet I know a lot of organizations do work that way, where it's you know number of hours you've put in and maybe hitting some dashboard metrics that are somewhat related or maybe not at all, or, or maybe it just being about effort and time. So I definitely think to the extent that you can in your organization and industry be working towards identifying those dashboard metrics, like Bonnie said, or directly toward results or sales or satisfaction numbers or whatever it is that your team or your organization is focused on that gives value to your customer, whoever that customer is, is key. Because then you then you really focus your time and energy and you get people thinking about what really matters. How do we directly get to those results? So... Uh, to that extent, I think that that's really valuable. Now, not every organization works that way, and not every industry works that way. I think about the the work you do in higher ed, Bonnie. You know, every every class, people will learn in exactly fifteen weeks. You know, and you work harder than anyone I know to make that happen. And yet, we all know that this doesn't nothing works in a perfect increment like that. And when it comes to the learning process, and so, you know, there's there's industries where this is really complicated and, and difficult. I, I will say this, the one exception that I've I've noticed over time where this happens a lot is even in the organizations I've worked with that have been very, very heavily focused on result orientation and numbers and dashboard metrics is even when someone's hitting those numbers, 
when they're doing it in such a way where it seems like they're driving themselves nuts, I can think about a situation I've worked with someone where they've they've hit their numbers pretty regularly, but like sometimes have done it really inefficiently. That's a time as a leader I have definitely stepped in and said, you know what, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to micromanage or tell someone how they need to do their work. At the same time, if I see someone really do it, putting unnecessary effort into something or not being efficient or not being effective, I, I, that is some place I will step in and to help coach them so they just can be more happy and successful in their work and do it more effectively and more efficiently. So that's one place that I've definitely made an exception to that when I've seen people um, when I've seen people struggle with this, they're just putting in time or effort types things. But anyway, I hope that's, uh, hope that's helpful to you, Hujefa. And if, and if we totally missed the point of your question, write me back and we'll, uh, we'll tackle it again. Okay. So here's a, another question. This one from Lisa, Lisa asks, uh, she says, quick question. Have you ever done a podcast about how to handle a mistake at work? Yes, we have, which I'll mention in a moment. I have made a mistake that has many upset. I scheduled a meeting for next week to discuss, and although I've already apologized internally, I'm looking for suggestions on how to handle the meeting. I don't think I want to focus at all on what I should have done, but rather what to do to help alleviate the situation. Uh, Lisa, thank you for the question. I'm sorry to hear about the situation. I think many of us have been in the situation where we have made a mistake. And uh, we have indeed... Not me, I mean other people, uh, but... <laughs> well, I was thinking about like a major mistake in an organization where, where you've had to apologize in front of folks. Bonnie is, of course, perfect. Um, episode number 54, you and I had a conversation a couple of years ago about how to apologize, how authentic leaders apologize, the, the three-step process for doing that. And so we should probably review that real quick uh, for the benefit of folks not necessarily needing to go back, although if you want the details on it. So the first thing is to say, I'm sorry, or I apologize, to actually say those words. The second step would be to say what it is specifically you are apologizing for or, or um, you know, feeling regret over. And then thirdly is what you will do differently in the future to prevent that from happening again. So it sounds to me like based on your message, you've already perhaps done the first and the second. And so you're now thinking, okay, what can we do differently going forward as an organization? So that seems looking forward seems like a, a, a pretty effective way to go from my standpoint. Um, the one thing that I would say here, and, and John Corcoran and I talked about this on a recent show too, is I, I think there's the danger sometimes for those of us when we've made a mistake and something's happened that has made people upset is to is kind of to either go to either extreme, either not apologize at all, or to over apologize and keep bringing it up and keep talking about it. And and I would I would suggest for most situations is that apologize to who you need to apologize to using that model, and then move forward and focus on what needs to happen in order to resolve the situation, learn the mistakes, and you know hopefully not make that mistake again, or at least not in that specific situation. And move forward and don't obsess over the mistake because we're all going to make them. Everyone on our team is going to make them. And to the extent that we can learn from that, it's going to help us to be successful in our organization. Bonnie, anything to add to that? I would just say that I really wish we knew what the situation was regarding because it's so hard to tell, but oftentimes it's best not to address these things in groups. Sounds like you have had some of the conversations individually, and those are the most powerful apologies that come to individuals directly and then giving them a chance to address their concerns. And it's just really difficult to do this well in a group setting. Yeah. And hard and hard either way. Hard. Good advice. All right. So let's tackle our 
Uh, our, well, I guess we got through all these. So let's tackle our final question here from Nushin. I hope I'm saying that right. I was wondering if you can suggest a program for executives who would like to improve their writing skills for communicating with investors, CEOs, etc. Bonnie, you, I know, have some thoughts on this. Yeah, I just have two thoughts. One is that there's not a lot out there. There's especially not a lot out there that's really good. And the best thing that I can think of to be a, become a better writer, especially at the executive level, is to do a lot of reading of others that are good writers at that particular audience at writing that way. So becoming a more voracious re- reader is going to help one become a better writer. The best book that I've seen on writing in general that would help anyone become a better writer is called On Writing Well. And I'm looking for some resources here on a web, on a, uh, not a web, webcast, I was going to say webcast, on a podcast we did a while back, episode 108 was how to improve your writing with Grammar Girl. And Grammar Girl, by the way, is a great podcast. I believe it airs weekly. And so this isn't, I mean, this is a little bit more niche than just writing because she's obviously focused on grammar, but there's a lot here. Um, she talks about a lot of resources and uh, things that'd be helpful for improving writing skills in general. So definitely check out the, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode because she talked about on that episode, some of the resources that she recommends just far as books, uh, resources, qu- and, and also uh, quick and dirty tips for better writing, which is a book, I believe. Yes, it is a book. And oh, it's by Mignon Fogarty. She's Grammar Girl. So that would be a great resource to check out too, because like Bonnie said, I mean, exposing yourself to people who are doing effective writing, whether it's other executives, other people on your team, um, people in the industry who you admire, but and then also reading and exposing yourself to some of these tools and resources as well will help you to get vastly better at that. And then I would also add of doing a lot of writing. The more you write, the more you get feedback from others on your writing, the more you um, mess up and are willing to write something that doesn't always make sense maybe even sounds silly or stupid on occasion. I know there are things I have sent out that in retrospect sound stupid that I've sent out on weekly leadership guides over the last three years since this community has grown. And people have been grateful to tell me that and point out errors and point out typos. And so I've learned from that. So keep writing, keep growing, tap into these resources, and we'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. As always, we're open to any additions, suggestions, or even disagreements you have about the resources we've mentioned. And the place to do that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash 174. All the resources and links will be there. In addition, at the bottom, you can add in your comments as well. So be sure to do that. And the next Q&A show will be episode number 178 in early February. The topic for that Q&A episode is accountability. So a couple different ways that we'll frame that is accountability for the things that you want to keep yourself accountable on. So that's important here at the beginning of the year, but also accountability for how you keep others accountable. Now, as always, I welcome questions, uh, anything related to leadership, but specifically around those uh, areas, we'll definitely give those questions priority for that show. If you'd like to submit a question, the best way to do it is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback and you can submit a question for that or any upcoming Q&A show on the first Monday of the month. And I made a brief mention to it in this episode, but this is the final week to get involved in the Michael Hyatt course, five days till your best year ever. I just completed the course this week 
and it was a great experience. I have a whole set of goals and resources ready to go for the year, so I'm excited to share some of the details with that. For those of you who have been already a part of the course and have sent us your receipt, so if you are interested in getting involved and looking for a framework that will help you to get 2015 started strong, a lot of details for that are in episode 171, but this is absolutely the final week. The course closes on January 8th. So if you are interested in getting involved, go ahead and direct your browser over to coachingforleaders.com slash best 2015. And in addition to all the course resources, if you do decide to register for the course through that affiliate link, be sure to forward your receipt to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And Bonnie and I will make sure that you get the bonus audio on goal setting that we are putting together that will be distributed later this month. So again, closes on January 8th. So this is the very last week. If you're listening to this in the future, hope you catch it around the next time uh, next year. But again, coachingforleaders.com slash best 2015. And speaking of getting the year started strong, thank you to those of you who have joined the weekly leadership guide. And I hope that you will do so as well if you haven't already. The leadership guide is delivered to your inbox each Wednesday and includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, and books that will support your development between the Monday shows. It also includes a brief overview and link to the full weekly show notes. And if you're like me and you tend to listen to podcasts while you're on the road or exercising, this will give you an easy way to follow up later on the links and resources that we mention in every show. So a thank you to the following people who joined the weekly leadership guide this week. Thank you to Jeff Harris, Hendra Teja, Leonardo Palillo, Athena Machiavello, Rudy Ashanson, Miroslav Jandeka, Eddie Williams, Andy Webb, Matt Shiro, Todd Sneathian, Jimmy Svensson, Safwan Haddad, Mike Harvey, Douglas Meyer, Raquel Berkshire, Angela Merstey, Davey Oliveira, Michael Lavery, George Wilson, Ryan Albert, David Ritter, Robert Good, Robert Briggs, someone named Ellen. Hi, Ellen. And Matthew Tatemeyer. Thank you to all of you for joining the Weekly Leadership Guide. And as a bonus, when you join the Weekly Leadership Guide, you'll get immediate access to my guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. Download that 11-page reader's guide and the 9-minute video from me on my top leadership book recommendations. A great start to your reading list for the new year and plus insight on the two of those books that I rely on weekly. And if you'd like to get all of that as well, just head over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I hope you have a fabulous start to the year, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care.